Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are tuning in. Thank you so much for joining me today for Facebook Live. I'm really excited to be here with you all today talking about this very, very uh, profound topic, equanimity. And it's uh, one of my favorite topics. It's one of my favorite practices. I've always kind of been drawn uh, to the practices of equanimity. I found them and continue to find them incredibly uh, resourceful and a, a source of strength and resilience in my own life. And I've seen this uh, to be the case in other people's lives too. And when I offer teachings around equanimity, it um, is very often offered by those people that, yeah, this is a tremendous resource for strength and resilience. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about why I'm doing the Facebook Lives. If you've been following me over the past couple of years, when I enter into a month or two of Facebook Live, you know that I give these sessions as a way of ramping up uh, to an eight-week online retreat program. And this is no different. So I'll just talk a little bit about the retreat program that I'm going to be offering, uh, which launches July 27th, and it runs to September 18th. And this is entitled Equanimity, the Clear Seeing Heart. So there's two sections to this eight-week program. Uh, section one meets on Thursdays and Mondays from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. in Thailand. That's the Thai time. If you're in the East Coast, that equals out to being uh, Wednesdays and Sundays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Section 2 in Thailand, where I'll be located uh, when I'm offering this program, Section 2 uh, is on uh, Thursdays and Mondays from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And really, Section 2 is, is designed to cater to those people who are in Europe, uh, because 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. in Thailand on Thursday equals 10 a.m. to 12 noon uh, in France. Uh, so Thursdays and Mondays, 10 a.m. to 12 noon, if you're in the same time zone as France, uh, Europe time, then uh, that would be a good one for you. <laughs> also, uh, of course, if you know people who are in Asia who like a later time uh, in the day, uh, it's 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. in Philippines, and I do have a lot of people who, who do call into these programs from the Philippines. So happy to be able to offer that uh, section, section two, for uh, my friends in the Philippines, my friends in Thailand, Japan, Singapore, and the rest of Asia. So a little bit more about the structure of the course before we launch into the actual bulk of uh, today's offering. Uh, it's an eight-week course. We meet twice a week, as you perhaps just noticed. <laughs> uh, people can make as many or as few of the live sessions as you wish. If you want to do the whole program in your own time, in your own pace, you can do that as well. You don't have to make any of the live sessions if that's more comfortable for you. And I do have people who register and do that. Um, the recordings will be made available only for the retreat participants. Sometimes I have people uh, emailing me, can I get a recording of, you know, something from the last retreat? No, 
Uh, and I do that because uh, I really honor the confidentiality of all of the participants. That's really important for me. And kind of in that uh, theme, I, I just want to mention here that this course that I'm offering on equanimity, the other course that I'm offering on mindfulness, and all of the offerings that I give are held within a trauma-sensitive framework. So I do uh, offer a whole list of confidentiality agreements and, and community agreements that we'll enter into as a way of cultivating uh, a type of safety within the community, a safe container that we can all uh, feel free to express ourselves freely within. And I, I feel that's very important. Also want to mention that everything I offer is offered within a secular voice. Now, the, back, uh, the, the bulk of my background uh, training is in the Buddhist tradition. And so I will draw heavily on Buddhism because that's where my training comes from. Um, so it's sort of my comfort zone. Uh, but when I do speak uh, and read perhaps from Buddhist texts or speak from the Buddhist tradition, I try to do so in a way that it's accessible to everyone. And if you stick with me here on the Facebook Live, you'll probably get a feel for that. One more thing about the eight-week program, it's appropriate for people of all experience levels. If you've never meditated before, or if you have a healthy meditation practice, or you're just kind of dabbling with meditation, everyone's welcome. And I like to, to you know, provide that space for all experience levels. Um, and I do that because, or I do that by not pre-creating a curriculum. I literally, the night before we meet, I sit down and I think about what people are experiencing in the course and I design the class around what's coming up in the course. Now, of course, there are certain topics that we'll need to cover, otherwise it wouldn't be a course at all, uh, but I do cater to the experience in the room. Okay. So again, you don't have to worry, is this you know, my, do I have enough experience for this course? Have I meditated enough? So forth like that. No worries. Everyone's welcome. So I would like to ring the bell here and perhaps we'll do maybe, I don't know, a three minute meditation just as a way of arriving and settling. Maybe we've had busy days and we're having a busy morning. So I'll just ring the bell here and uh, we'll just have about three minutes of meditation. So the invitation here is just to arrive into this present moment. We might begin arriving just by noticing how the body feels right now in this current posture, perhaps. Noticing the seated position, we might offering a phrase like sitting, and I know that I'm sitting. 
as a way of connecting to the felt experience of the posture. So if you're lying down, just offering a similar phrase, lying down, and I know that I'm lying down. And perhaps noticing contact of the feet against the floor or the carpet or the ground. You might notice the weight of the body against the cushion or chair or mat or floor. Perhaps noticing sensations of clothing against the back, shoulders rising and falling with each breath. And there might be sensations arising from the face. And perhaps noticing sensations at the top of the head. Resting, breathing. And so while we're here resting, the invitation then is to notice if there's any obvious tension or stress that's being held in the body. And if you notice any stress or tension there, just inviting that to relax, grow soft, rest. Perhaps visualizing or imagining the stress, the tension of the body, melting like ice on a hot summer day. melting right off of the bones, melting through the skin and into the cushion, into the chair, inviting, allowing the stress or tension to melt through the cushion, the chair, down into the floor, into the floorboards, the cement, and all the way down into the earth. Just letting all of that go. Letting go. So in the next few moments, we'll begin to shift away from the practice and back into a conversational space. And I'll cue that by ringing the bell three times. So thank you for that. I hope you were able to, to settle into the present moment a little bit and, 
I know I was. I appreciate it. So I'd like to open today's talk by actually reading an excerpt uh, from the Buddhist tradition. This is actually from the first turning of the Dharma wheel, which was the first teaching that the Buddha ever gave. And here the setting is that uh, the Buddha is speaking to five ascetics, five people who are practicing asceticism. These were actually people that he knew quite well. He spent uh, six years himself uh, in the practice of asceticism with these five other students. So he was uh, quite familiar with these people. The wise do not pursue two dead ends. Which two? Addiction to pleasure through indulging in sensuality, which is vulgar and village-like, and addiction to self-punishment, which is painful, undignified, and unfulfilling. I have awoken to a middle path which does not lead to two dead ends. It is a path which generates vision and awareness. It leads to tranquility and lucid understanding, awakening, and release. So the Buddha here, I have awoken to a middle path does not, does, that does not lead to two dead ends, he says. And keep in mind here that the Buddha is speaking to people who practice asceticism, who are addicted to self-mortification which is painful and undignified, says the Buddha. So, and then he says, but we don't want to go all the way in the other direction either, right? Addiction to pleasure, self-indulgence, which is vulgar and village-like, he says. So this middle way is what we're invited to explore. And the, the practices of equanimity are directly related to this exploration of finding our own middle way. So most of us know in our own experience what it might feel like to, to, to hold on to one side of an argument or of a disagreement or of a debate and push against the other side, right? I think we can all kind of perhaps look into our memory banks and think of a moment when, when we were doing that. I know I can. So just to give a little example of that, let's say um, you, you're living in a place where there are other people around, uh, a partner, a spouse, a roommate. And so perhaps you see this person uh, after a few months of living with them as being uh, rather sloppy, messy, right? And so just because their uh, threshold around cleanliness doesn't match ours, we kind of immediately start to uh, think of that person as being a slob, being careless, uh, being dirty, uh, and so forth, right? 
and it can have this negative label. And, you know, that person might very well uh, be seeing us in the opposite way, but just as negative, right? If we're very clean and tidy and like things orderly, uh, they might see us as controlling or, or anal or um, uh, any other uh, adjectives that you can think of in there. <laughs> the idea is that, you know, when we hold on to one side, we do so at the expense of the humanity of the other side. Now, I use that example of uh, living together, cohabitating together, but we can clearly see how this type of polarization leads to very, very deep suffering around the world today. Right? So equanimity and this idea of the middle way is an invitation to, to let go of that and, and to really connect with the humanity of the experience uh, rather than hyper-focusing on our pole of that equation. So again, drawing from the Buddhist tradition here, the Buddha offered what he called the eight worldly winds. Those would be gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, success and failure. And I added a, another one, uh, order and chaos. And there are other teachers who have their own uh, poles of opposites they like to work with. Hui Ning, the, the Zen patriarch, the sixth patriarch of Zen, actually uh, really went into this teaching. And I think he drew up uh, 37 pairs of opposites, um, which is a lot. <laughs> I find that uh, 10 is enough for me. That really covers a lot of ground for me. And so these are called the worldly winds because uh, they blow through each and every individual's life. All human lives have their fair measure of gain and loss, praise and blame, pain and pleasure, success and failure, and order and chaos. And so we can't really do anything about that, right? That's kind of the human condition in a sense that those features are sewn into the fabric of human existence. But the problem is, is that we tend to, like the, like the clean roommate, we tend to fixate on one and repress or push against the experience of the other, right? We tend to fixate on gain and push against loss fixate on praise, push against blame, and so forth. Right? So these practices of equanimity are, again, an invitation to find a place of rest where we can enjoy the game and let it go when it's going and experience that loss, recognizing that after every loss, there's another game. And after every game, there's another loss. And so we don't get so hung up on the flux, but we can rest and enjoy life's unfolding. 
want to do a little bit more reading here. This is a fun little passage, again, from the, the early text of the Buddhist tradition. So this is an exchange between a wandering mendicant named Vachigota and the, the Buddha, Gotama. And it was quite common for Gotama, the Buddha, to hold uh, talks. And in those talks, uh, wandering mendicants like Vachigota would approach the Buddha and challenge him sometimes. How is it, Venerable Gotama? Does the self exist? The Buddha remained silent. Then how is it, Venerable Gotama? Does the self not exist? The Buddha again remained silent. The wanderer Vachigota then got up from his seat and went away. The Buddha then turned to his attendant, Ananda, and said, if I had answered the self exists, that would have encouraged eternalism. And if I had answered the self does not exist, that would have encouraged nihilism. So it's worth noting here that the poles of eternalism and nihilism were, were hotly debated topics in the Buddhist time 2,600 years ago. There were many, many uh, spiritual practitioners, seekers, and sages who, who really held on to the idea that the soul is eternal. And there were many in that same category who held on to the idea that there is no soul and that nothing matters. And so the Buddha, rather than, you know, it seems like he kind of fluffs Vachigota away by not answering and he just remains silent. And I could see where one would think that, right? It's kind of a gruff, <laughs> you, know, you know, cold shoulder kind of thing. But when reading this several times and, and, and meditating on it, at least I, I think I've come to understand that actually the silence is the answer. It wasn't that the Buddha wasn't answering him, but he was allowing the silence to be the answer. So here we get to this idea that the middle way, this middle way that the practice of equanimity is really designed to allow us to inhabit can't be defined. Because as soon as we say the middle way is like this, it creates an opposite of not like that. You follow me? As soon as we put a definition on our balance point, as soon as we define that middle way, We've set it up against a concept that will be opposing it. So the middle way can only be held in silence, in stillness, without concept. Because any, any concept has an equal and opposite concept. It becomes another pole in a set of opposites. 
So to kind of maybe bring that up to light a little bit, because it might sound kind of abstract. Uh, here is the Zen master Hui Ming, who really, um, really deepened these practices of equanimity um, very much so. I consider uh, Hui Ming to be um, yeah, one of the fathers of equanimity practice, for sure. So here's Hui Ning. He says, dark itself isn't dark. It is due to light that dark becomes dark. And light itself isn't light. It is due to dark that light becomes light. Because light changes into dark, and dark gives way to light. Their appearance and disappearance depend on each other. All human experience is like this. Because light changes into dark, and dark gives way to light, their appearance and disappearance depend upon each other. All human experience is like this. So holding that, returning back to the worldly winds, gain and loss, right? We could say the same thing, right? Gain itself isn't gain, but it is due to loss that gain becomes gain. And dark itself, uh, and loss itself isn't loss. It is due to gain that loss becomes loss. <laughs> it's a little challenging for me to read and put the other words in there. So you get the idea, all human experience is dependent upon its opposite. So if we really want to step out of that and inhabit this balance point amongst these worldly winds, letting go of the concepts and meeting life as it arises, meeting life as it is. I have one more uh, quote from a master here. This is from Lao Tzu from the Taoist tradition. Lao Tzu says, all of the world knows beauty, but if that becomes beautiful, this becomes ugly. All of the world knows good, but if that becomes good, this becomes bad. Have and have not create each other. Hard and easy produce each other. Long and short shape each other. High and low complete each other. So Lao Tzu clearly pointing at this idea that these opposites, what we think of as opposites, are really two sides of the same coin. Right? High is only high in relationship to low. And we can kind of see this, you know, in a, in a simple way. You know, I'm holding this singing bowl, and it feels hard. But it only feels hard in relation to the softness of my fingertips. Right? If my fingertips were, were like as hard as a rock, boulder, 
then the singing bowl would feel soft. And it's just that simple, really. But, but we, again, we get hung up on what we think of. We get hung up on our conception of reality rather than holding our conception of reality lightly and recognizing that perhaps the world is a little bit different than how we've been taught to experience it. So again, there's nothing wrong with how we see the world, but it just may be a little bit inaccurate. <laughs> and it's holding that question you know, not allowing ourselves to be numbed out by how we believe the world is. It's that belief that numbs us out. But rather holding the question, how is the world? When we can really hold that question with this sense of awe and mystery, that allows us to meet the present moment as it's arising. And rather than being um, mysterious, it is kind of mysterious, but I think a little bit more accurately, perhaps, is life becomes very exciting. It becomes filled with a sense of wonder. Because we've let go of how we've been taught to comprehend life as it's unfolding and actually inhabit life as it's unfolding. So returning back to the worldly winds then for a moment before we wrap up. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you know the idea is not to uh, ignore gain and loss, pleasure and pain. That would be kind of a, a type of indifference. Right? We're not trying to cultivate this type of numbness or indifference or aloofness. Actually, equanimity is quite the opposite of that. It's a real deep engagement with what's arising in the present moment. So we can enjoy and really drink in the positive, the positive experiences, the gain, the praise, the, the pleasure. Those experiences of life nourish us. They help us and support us when times are rough. So we don't want to ignore those. We just want to be able to let go of them when they're fading and not cling, not cling to them. And then we find ease and rest amidst the difficulties, knowing that eventually the difficulties do give way to pleasant once again. So we're not pushing or pulling, but resting. So I have found a middle way that does not lead to two dead ends. This middle way, this unspoken middle way. And that term unspoken middle comes from Aristotle. This undefinable path between two dead ends. Dead ends could really be any concepts, any concepts. 
is really speaks to the idea of letting go of dogma. Dogma is a concept and it leads to dead ends. This practice of equanimity is inviting us to let go of all of that and to meet life afresh and new with each and every moment. So I think that's all I've got to say today. Again, if you're interested in signing up for the eight-week program, all of the information is on my website, www.suchsweetthunder.org. Or you could simply email me, uh, again, through the website or message me through Facebook or Instagram if you have any questions or if you want to go ahead and register. Uh, happy to receive messages uh, in that way as well. I will be back here, I think, on Thursday evening, my time in Portugal, uh, for a talk on heartful awareness, which is how I'm kind of reframing mindfulness, heartfelt awareness. So I'll ring the bell to close us out, and I hope you all have a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful, wonderful evening or afternoon, or if you're in America, you might be celebrating the 4th of July. Uh, enjoy the celebration and uh, see you all next time. Thank you.